Thanks for joining us today on the Centerpoint podcast coming from the Loft on Main in Danville, Kentucky. For more information, check us out at centerpointdanville.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dollar short and a day late. Story of my life. I used to hook up uh, gas for people, uh, fireplaces and stoves. And so that became a saying of me and my buddies. Now you're cooking with gas. Yeah. Sometimes we did good. Sometimes we melted a few things. But we would finally get where we needed to be. Uh, Welcome to Centerpoint this morning. My name's Stacy. For you guys that don't know me, I'm one of the campus pastors here. And we want to thank you guys for coming out and hanging out with us uh, this morning uh, as we continue in the story uh, or the series of The Story Maker. Uh, today we're going to look at questions and critics, how Jesus used the questions and critics to change someone's story forever. Uh, when Jesus gets into a story, it takes a whole new path. Uh, when Jesus gets involved in it, you're, you're looking at it one way, you know, and then Jesus gets involved and all of a sudden it's going a completely different way. And for most of us, we can, we can say that sometimes. We can say, you know, I was going this way and then Jesus got involved and then it went this whole other way. Uh, when we bring Jesus into our story, when we give him the chance to be in our story, it takes a turn that we never saw coming. It takes a turn into such a way that you've got to understand, out of everything that he created, I mean, the stars and the heavens, I mean, he named them. But look at us. We're on his mind. He cares for us. He, he worries about us. He wants to see us do good. He wants to see us be successful. Um, and like I say, and as we get into this today, we, we start seeing the story of questions and critics and where our story is going and how our stories change. Um, let me ask you all a question. Who all likes the movies that have a great twist plot in it? Who likes those kind of movies? The ones when you're sitting there watching it and you're eating your popcorn, it's like, wow, you know, I didn't see that coming. Well, you know, that, those are the movies I like. Those are the movies I enjoy. Because, you see, as, as I watch these movies and as I get surprised, I'm the type of person that I can, well, you can ask my family. I, sometimes I figured the movies out, okay? We'll just say this. I'm pretty sharp, Okay. I can figure out their little twists and their little plots. Bad thing is, I tell everybody about it. Uh, You know, I'm like, oh, you know what's going to happen here? Yeah, my kids don't like that. We'll be watching a show at home, be sitting there, and all of a sudden, I'll just blurt out. That's the killer right there. That's him. They're like, shut up, Dad. Shut up, Dad. So, I mean, good stories have great twists. They have great plots. But now there's those times I miss it. There's times that, you know, they'll trip me up. I'll be sitting there watching it, and I'll have it all figured out, and I'm like, this is the guy right here. Yeah, he's going to jail. Yeah, they're going to get him right. And then all of a sudden, whammo. You know, something happens, and something I didn't see coming. And as I see it, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this twist happens. And it's so great of a twist, it changes everything in the whole story. You can sit there and watch the movie for two hours. And then when that twist happens, boom. One of my favorite is, uh, and this is really going to date myself. Some of you all don't know, 
There's a movie called The Empire Strikes Back. Star Wars, all right? Darth Vader. <gasps> Guy had the worst case of asthma ever. He was the one, you know? Him and Luke, they're battling it. and oh, If you haven't seen it, you've got to watch it. I would tell you, but I don't want to ruin it for you. But it has a great twist in it. It has a great twist. You know, that's the story we're looking at today. Jesus' critics come with questions that they are sure will trap him if they don't see the twist that is fixing to happen. They've played this out in their mind and they're looking at it and they're saying, you know, this, we're going to, we're going to trip Jesus up today. This is the thing that's going to mess his world up. We've got him right here. But they didn't see the twist. They didn't expect the twist that was going to happen. So as we get ready this morning and uh, say, I'm, I'm not the world's greatest speaker, but I have the world's greatest God. I believe that with all my heart. I know that today that somebody here is needing to hear the story that we're going to tell. Um, as I was going through it, I needed to hear it again. God spoke to me in a new light with this, and I was like, man, I didn't see that the first time. So as we're here today, let's just seek what God's wanting in our lives. Don't worry about everything that's going on today. Right now, I could be worrying, trust me. My son's getting his appendix taken out probably as we talk. And I talked to him on the phone this morning, and I told him that I got a piece, son. I got a piece. You'll be all right. I'll be up, and I'll see you in a little while. So today, Let's not worry about the things of this life. But let's worry about the spiritual parts. Spiritual realms that God's trying to take us today. That we can grow in such a way that we will never be the same. That we'll let him have such a part of our life that it will change our stories. And our stories will go out, they'll be new, they'll be fresh. It'll be something you can share with somebody in such a way that they'll know that you've been with Jesus. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning, and Lord, we just, we bring ourselves. Lord, we empty ourselves this morning of the world and all of the craziness about it. Lord, we ask you today to fill us up with you. Let yourself touch our hearts and turn our hearts back toward you that we not be consumed with the things of this life, Lord, that we would be more consumed about your kingdom and the spiritual things that you have for us. Lord, we know that our stories right now, we are only seeing part of it. Lord, we know that when we let you have it, our story becomes something else. So today, Father, take our stories, bring them to life. May they, may they always, glorify you. For it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus had some critics. Now, I'm from Casey County, so trust me, being in church most of my life in Casey County, I got a few critics too. That's why I'm in Danville now. 
No, uh, but Jesus had some critics, and they were the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, they were trying to catch Jesus in a position that, that they could discredit him, that they could bring him into a bad light. You know, they had this plan, and it was all worked out. We're going to start it's in John today. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to John chapter 8. If you don't have your Bibles or some back here on the table, you're more than welcome to grab one and, uh, and follow along with us. But today we're going to be in John chapter 8, starting in verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, placing her in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. A single witness shall not suffice. Skip that one. Skip that one. That's Deuteronomy. Now, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such one. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before them. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. Here's part of the reason in verses 1 and 2. Part of the reason they didn't like him. Uh, they wanted him to look unknowledgeable. Uh, you'll see that he's, he's there teaching. People came to hear him. I believe maybe in their time, there was a lot of pride thing going on. Jesus, you know, was taking a little bit of of, of, their, of their business, we'll say. But what he was doing, he was coming and he was teaching them. He was teaching them about a new life. They didn't like that. They didn't like that at all. So what they were doing, they were trying to, to make him look unknowledgeable. They were trying to uh, take the people that he was trying to teach, that he was trying to, to, to help learn. He was trying to get them to see him in a different light. Verses 3 through 5 says, Put up verse uh, 3 again. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, placing her in the midst. They'd found something to trip him up. And they wanted to know how he would answer them. They found something that would mess him up. Or at least they thought this would mess him up. You'll see that they... In the scriptures, they call him master. They call him teacher. Well, we know that they were trying to mess him up. We know that from their whole plan, they were wanting to cause him some severe problems in his life. But yet they call him master and they call him teacher. It was just something better just to, 
to cover up what their true intentions were. For them to bring the accusation of adultery like they had brought there to them, there had to be at least two witnesses. Deuteronomy 19.15 says this. A single witness shall not suffice against the person for any crime or any wrong in any connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. You see, they brought witnesses. They caught this woman in the act of adultery. You've got to understand, in this day and time, the act of adultery, she knew the charge that was being brought against her. It wasn't something light. It was death. It was death. Here they've brought, brought her before him, and what they're trying to do, they're trying to trip him up. They're trying to see, is he going to agree with Moses and the law and what we've been teaching? Or is he going to say something else? You see, for these guys, their whole intention was never good. It was never good. You see, the critics that was coming after Jesus, they wanted to destroy him. And maybe you've never had that type of critic in your life. Maybe you've never had somebody that, that really wanted to see bad happen to you. But for the most part, for the most part, they're out there. Occasionally we see them. Occasionally we run into them. I know there's people that I've known for years um, as we were doing youth ministry. And they would question me so many times about the things I would do. I would lose bets. I would have bets with my youth group. They were good bets, I thought, you know? Not like on the Super Bowl or the Derby or something like that. I mean, bets that we could see them being motivated to do something for God. One of those was there's a thing called World Vision. What World Vision does, World Vision feeds hungry people, feeds hungry children. And our youth group, we got into that, and we started really embracing it and seeing that we could make a difference in a child's life someplace else. So we got to looking into it, and they had this thing called a 30-hour famine. So we decided we were going to do a 30-hour famine. 30 hours, no food. A little juice, a little water. We'll be all right. Man, 30 hours, no food. I had kids whining and crying. It was, I'm sitting there going, Lord, why did you let me do this? They're like, I'm going to die. I'm so hungry. Oh. I'm sitting there like, would you shut up? It's been 15 minutes. It's not been that long. I found pictures of our first one this past weekend in an old box. I was cleaning out a room. And I'm looking at these kids, and I miss them. I remember them whining and crying. And now I look at them, they're adults, they're grown up, they got their own kids, they got their own families. 
And I'm sitting there thinking, God's going to probably play a great joke on you. Just give it time. You're going to figure out this kid thing as they get older and they become teenagers. It's going to be great. But we did our 30-hour famine. One of the pictures I found was me at a hair salon. Because one of the bets was this, that if they could raise $5,000, I would bleach my hair. They wanted to shave my head. But Jason Kilby, I'm, I am not. You know, I cannot do the bald thing. My head is not shaped like that. If it goes out, it's going to be all natural. Okay, it's just going to let go. So we went, I got my hair bleached. We had a great time. The kids didn't raise $5,000. They raised $18,000. This is in Casey County. You know how many kids they fed? They seen that they had the power to do something. It was a great time. But trust me, when God starts moving and you're doing things like that, you're going to have some critics pop up. And they popped up. They kept asking me, why you bleach your hair? I was like, well, first of all, it was kind of a joke. And then I kind of liked it. That was the bad thing. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I did it for many years. I kept my hair bleached and spiked as long as I could do it. But I had my critics. I had my critics. I tried to answer them with love and do it the way Jesus would do it, but I know there's sometimes I didn't. There were some times that I didn't handle that very well. See, with what Jesus is fixing to do, he did it in such a way, in such a way, he answered his critics so that they, so they would know who he was and what he was all about. And you see, for us today, the answers that we give people, just in passing, just in passing, you don't know how it's going to affect somebody. You don't know if that's part of your story that's going to affect their story, maybe even change it. Here's the big moment. They've got Jesus, they've thrown it out there to him, and they said, now here it is. This woman's committed adultery, what do you say? What should we do? They couldn't wait. I bet you they were like little giddy schoolgirls going, Ooh, we got it. They were so excited, yes. We're going to trip Jesus up. They wanted to see him sweat and get nervous. But he didn't go that way. He bends down and starts writing in the sand. Starts playing in the sand. One of the questions that I can't wait to ask when I see Jesus is, what did you write in the sand? I want to know. And I know it'll probably be so far over my head, I won't even grab it. I'll be like, oh, okay, yeah, right. I'll play it cool. I'll like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah, I understand. I mean, did he write down their names? Did he start listing them individually? Did he start writing down the sins that they had in their lives that he knew about that they had that were secret? 
Jesus didn't panic. He never panicked. He stayed cool and calm through the whole situation. Then we get to the place where the twist comes in. They think they've got him. And what's he tell them? Yeah, he says, you, you without sin, you throw the first stone. Wow. That's one of them twists that changes the whole story. You see, they didn't see that coming. They never thought that he would twist it and turn it back up onto them. They thought the whole time that, you know, we've got him. This is it. This is it. Just when they thought he was trapped, he gave them a wise answer that they were not ready for. To have seen their faces, I think, would have been worth $1,000. Because all of a sudden, they're sitting here, and you know they've talked about this. They've planned this out. Listen, when he, this is going to be so good. I can't wait to hear him. He's just going to, He's going to mess up. And all of a sudden, the twist happens. And they're looking at each other with this stupid look. And I'm sure they were looking at the guy. There had to be a ringleader in this part. There had to be somebody there that was trying to bring this along to say, hey, listen, this is how we're doing it. And I'm sure they all looked at him like, what we do now, wise guy? <laughs> you didn't tell me he was going to do that. But the thing that Jesus did is he still didn't panic. What did he do? He started writing in the sand again. Verse 9 says that these men were now being convicted. He told them, he said, you without sin. I was wondering about the woman that's standing there knowing that this was capital punishment. She knew the law. She knew the price. What was she thinking about all this? As these men are sitting there trying to figure out what their next move is going to be, she's sitting there going, all he's got to do is say, stone me, and they're going to kill me. I'm not going to get out of this. I'm in a bad spot, and this is the end. I'm not getting out of this today. knowing the death penalty was on the table. Her accusers did one thing, one by one. They started walking away, starting with the oldest. I think there must have been a little wisdom there because he knew something different about this guy. We had the question for him, but he had an answer that we weren't ready for. And they started leaving one by one. They started going away. And Jesus asked her, he says, where's those that condemn you? Where are they at? He said, there's no one here. And he says, they don't condemn you and neither do I. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. See, 
There's the twist. It's very simple. His answer to her, go, sin no more. For us today, sometimes that's hard to do. That's hard to do. I mean, I know I'm probably one of the world's worst about losing my temper. I get a little hulkish sometimes. I get a little angry when I'm in my car. I'm doing a lot better. I'm listening to a lot more Mercy Me. When I'm in the car, that's helping me some. So I'm doing a little better on that. But to go and sin no more. You see, when I was young, my story didn't start out well. I chose to do things that are not nice. Um, I made a choice to steal. I made a choice to lie. And that's just the tip of it. In Liberty, there's not much. But growing up, there was a five and dime. I'm really telling on myself now how old I am. Anybody know what a five and dime is? Okay, well, there was a five and dime. It's just a little store. And it had all kinds of products in it. It had a great toy area. I was probably fifth grade, fourth, fifth grade. And uh, I had these two friends. And, you know, they always say, you can tell by somebody by the company they hang out with. I wasn't a bad kid. You know, I thought it was decent, but now my friends I hung out with, they were a couple little snakes. And we went down to the, to the five and dime one day, and they, uh, they had these book satchels. Back in the day, we had these big book satchels we would carry to school. And one of them had one. And we noticed on the wall, there's these cap guns. Now, they got me down there, and the whole reason they had me there is they knew what they were going to do. Want me to be the lookout. And so we're going to get us some cap guns. We're going to go play Cowboys and Indians this afternoon. Okay. And I'm running it through my mind. I'm trying to rationalize it. I'm like, one cap gun isn't bad. You know, God will forgive me for one cap gun. That's not the end of the world. You know, me stealing one cap gun isn't that bad. They had like three shelves of them. Had these, they were really cool. They had these little cap guns. They looked like little 38s. You'd buy the little red things and put in them and just pop, 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 just fire them off. I mean, they were awesome. They tore up real easy, so I figured we would be done with it by the end of the day. But my buddies had the same idea. So as I'm looking around, I see nobody, and I tell them, do it. Turn around, and I watch them. They weren't getting just one cap gun. They opened up that bag. I watched them clean that whole shelf off. All the caps, all the guns went in that bag in about three seconds. Zip, it was up and we were going out the door. I was like, oh, what have we done? So we went out and we tore up a few cap guns. I went home that night. I couldn't sleep. Couldn't sleep. It bothered me. 
I knew, I knew that was wrong. I got a guilty conscience, so I did what I guess most 19 year old kids do. I went crying to mama, told her what I did. And she said, uh, okay, we're going to take care of this. She didn't hit me. She didn't whip me. And understand, my mom, her name's Mildred. Teachers at the schools I went to knew her as Mama Mildred. And if I got in trouble at school, they called Mama Mildred up. Mama Mildred liked to whip me with a whatever she could get at the time. And I deserved it every time I got one. I deserved it. She was really nice and she was really sweet. I was like, this is kind of out of character, you know? She's not going to hit me. <laughs> this ain't so bad. He said, tomorrow we're going down to the five and dime. And you're going to tell Mr. Cornette. You're going to tell him what you did. I was like, oh, no, I can't do that, Mom. I can't do that. She said, yeah, that's where we're going. The next day, we went to the five and dime. I'm going through my head that this man is going to cut me up into wafer-thin slices and put me somewhere forever in a jar. I was scared to death. I'll never forget him standing behind the counter. And he looked at me and he smiled. He said, don't go still no more. To this day, I've never stolen anything. You see, at that time, I didn't know where my story was going. I thought my story was laid out and it was going to be like this. And it was never the way I thought it would be. I never became a stunt man. That's a whole other story. That's a good one. I never became a rock star. I never became a, a pro football player. Those parts of my story, they never happened. But the story that did happen is that Jesus let me find grace in a man behind a counter. Jesus let me see him manifested in somebody else. You see, this is the twist to everything. The twist is this. Jesus rewrites our stories that we are heading to death. He adds a chapter that creates new life. Jesus rewrites our stories that we are heading to death. He adds a chapter that creates new life. See, for my story, I never thought it would turn that way. This lady that's been taken in adultery, she was heading to death. But what happens when Jesus gets into the story? It takes a twist. It takes a turn that you're, you're not expecting. And he takes her from death into life. The critics had the question, but Jesus has the answers. The critics will always have questions. The critics will always throw them out. 
They will always be upon you. They will always be throwing stuff out and, and asking you this, asking you that, trying to trip you up. Just remember, you don't have to worry about the critics because Jesus has the answer. My story, I was at the end. And I asked Jesus a question. Because I had gotten so far away from him and I was just like, I'm done with this. I don't want to live it no more. Because you see, I knew what it was to be next to him. I knew what it was to have him touch me. And it had been years. And I thought he was done with me. I mean, I thought it was over. I kept going back to church. I kept praying. I just never heard him again. And I understood what hell was. Hell is a separation from God. And I can't live like that. So my prayer one day was, and I was his biggest critic. I tell people, where's he at? What's he doing? I told him, I said, either use me or kill me. I said, don't leave me like this. You see, there was a day I let Jesus have my story and it took a twist. A twist that I am very happy about today. Never dreamed I would be doing this. Speaking to people, telling them about Jesus. twist was this. He loved me. He loved me. After everything I did, he loved me. Today, I don't know where you're at in your story. Maybe, maybe you've invited Jesus to be part of that. Maybe you haven't. Maybe your story hasn't taken that twist yet. Well, let me share with you something. I never, never regret letting him be part of my story. Because without him, I have no story. But with him, I have a story that has power. Maybe today you're sitting here and you're going, you know, I don't understand all of it but I want Jesus to be part of my story. I'll just ask you what you're waiting on. In 18 years of ministry, I've never heard somebody say they wish they had waited to let Jesus be part of their story. Never heard it. I've never heard nobody say, no, I just wish I would have waited another year before I'd let him take over and let him come into my life. But what I've always heard, I wish I had let him do it sooner. 
I wished I would let him have part of my story sooner so it could have done more good for somebody, so it could have done something else. Your story today, there's a, note, there's a chapter waiting to be written. And that chapter today is a chapter of life, not death. It's a chapter where he steps in on the scene and he does things that you never thought could be done. He takes you from one part to another. And through that, we see life. We hear him say, go sin no more.